Yo. Hello. What's good? What's up? Not much, Jim. How's it going? It's going well. We're How's here. It we're, we're, we're air going it, so I can't complain. We absolutely are. I'm Kiss. I'm Damon. And what we do here is showcase the folks reshaping the culture of our city for the more equitable and creative. I had to like force myself not to do like ergo after dark voice like that just because I'm wearing a turtleneck today in the studio. I was like, this feels like a like a sensual conversation, but it isn't. Kiss after dark. <laughs> it's a fantastic conversation though. Um, but before we get to that, a couple community announcements. There's a lot of great stuff going on in the city this week. My favorite band in the world, Phony People, is performing at Chop Shop on Friday at 8 p.m. Tickets are still available. For those of y'all who don't know, they are a group of Brooklynites who've been making music together for a while. They kind of came up parallel to kids these days. They're fantastic. They just put out an NPR Tiny Desk yesterday. Mm. I haven't finished it, but it's really, really, really good. Uh, So that's Friday at Chop Shop. And then on Saturday at the Silver Room, Ergo alum Lester Ray has a listening party and event for his new project, Santuario, with Rick Wilson, uh, which they just put out a video for, which is really, really good. I like the track, and I like those two of them in conversation mm-hmm. with each other. And then on Sunday, Ergo alum Hanif Abdurraqib is back in town. He's doing a talk about his new book, which is about Tribe Called Quest. It's called Go Ahead in the Rain. That is at the Seminary Co-op in Hyde Park at 3 p.m. And then... On the 12th, Vince Staples is in town performing at the Riv. I might actually get tickets to this. Go check that out. I'm a big Vince fan. You, you rock with I him rock too, with right? Vince. Yeah. I, I haven't done as much listening as much as I rock with him, but, mm-hmm. I, but I rock with him heavy. And then lastly, on Wednesday the 13th at Sub T, as part of the free snack show, Roy Kinsey is performing. Roy Kinsey's killing it. He is he out is here. He's truly everywhere. killing it. it, it, it that is a clear rise. Additional announcements ah. coming from Dame Diddy himself. <laughs> Uh, Breathing Room, the 13th of March, we're having a Freedom Circle in collaboration with the R3 Coalition. It is going to be in discussion of housing, home, homelessness, displacement, and the the push out of black people in the city. Um, And then also to some comparable themes on the 22nd, we'll be having our monthly Breathing Room series is getting revamped for 2019. So that is March 13th. And March 22nd, 1434 West 51st Street, 6 o'clock on the 13th, 5 o'clock on the 22nd. Beautiful. And so now let's get to our great conversation with Charlene Carruthers. You want to add any, like, context or anything like that? I mean, you know, an amazing thought leader, organizer, activist, a significant historical voice for our generation, uh, one of the the core founders of BYP 100, uh, a historic organization that has shaped a lot of the context of which this show comes out of and has been discussed throughout the years that we are up here. So we got the big homie herself in the building. She has served as the national director for the organization for five years. She also has a book called Unapologetic. Uh, that is out now that you can read. Yeah, go read that. And if you like words being said, but don't like reading them off a page, you can just listen to us talk with the one and only Charlene Carruthers. This is a you intro. This this is a very, very (laughs) special guest. I know it feels like we say those words all the time, but I am grateful and humbled to have our guest here today. We have the phenomenal leader, organizer, author. Mm-hmm. We got Charlene Carruthers in the building. So we always like to start 
these sessions, these conversations <laughs> with a two-part question. Yes. In this time, how is the world treating you and how are you treating the world? Yeah, I love that question. So first, thank you for having me. Of course. Thank you for coming. Course. You know, I usually just see the posts on Instagram and I'm like, dang, why haven't I been on this show yet? <laughs> <laughs> so, it's less a reflection just, on you and more a reflection on our disorganization. Yes. It's all good. Because you have it's been on the, toward the top of the list for like, we've been doing <laughs> this show three years? Yeah. yeah. For three years. <laughs> it's all good. I'm yeah. happy to be here. As soon as yeah. I got the invite, I was like, yes, of course. <laughs> mm-hmm. I love to join. And so how is the world treating me and how am I treating the world? I'll start with how I'm treating the world. Um, For like the past, I would say month or month and a half, I've been trying to figure out how I want to situate myself in the world because I had a recent like really big transition Mm -hmm. out of a role that I held for five years, Mm -hmm. which felt like a decade or (laughs) 15 years uh, in um, BYP 100 as a national director. And then went from that to just not having a structure to Mm -hmm. every single day. And so figuring out like where I want to give my time and like just give my time to something Mm -hmm. and my energy to something, uh, how I want to give it to myself and uh, just being a lot more open Mm -hmm. uh, to possibilities and also giving myself like time to figure these things out. And so just reintroducing myself to myself I think into the world yeah. in more ways than one is like how I've been treating it mm-hmm. and even just questioning how I show up in the world yeah. uh, and figuring out yeah like what uh, who who am I what is this thing that I'm doing um, who who are my people now that I'm not doing organizing yeah. mm-hmm. on a day to day basis mm-hmm. yeah. and so the world in return I think well I always, like, my observation and my feeling about Chicago is that it is just always on 10. <laughs> always. For like, the or city yeah. is just always on 10. Yeah. Everybody's always keyed up. Yeah. And so the world to me is just like, uh, in Chicago at least, that part of the world, it is it's just like always high energy. Mm. And in some ways I'm like pushing back against not moving at the same pace that this city moves at all the time. Because mm-hmm. it'll, it'll ask of you to keep moving. Yeah. You, like to stay. What, obviously, you don't have to have like the answer, but I'm curious mm-hmm. what your answer is for where that, where that on 10 energy comes from here. What do you think? Yeah. And that, I, I'm curious mm-hmm. what you think, too. I think it's a combination of things. One, everybody has a hustle. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. People are constantly hustling for something. Like, be it, you know, the teacher who's hustling to teach these kids something so they go out to the world as better human beings or the homie um, somewhere in my neighborhood who's hustling for something to do whatever they need to do. Um, these politicians mm-hmm. hustling, mm-hmm. the bus That's drivers. That's not a hustle. Oh, right? <laughs> you know, these the CTA bus drivers. It's intense. <laughs> they like, we bobbing and weaving through Chicago traffic. and Like, they'll just get cut off by a bus? Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yo, so, yo, this is wild. Right? So it's always on 10. And I just think that, that the hustle is a part of it. Mm-hmm. I think also fear. Mm. Um, anxiety yeah. mm-hmm. contributes to the like the frantic energy of this city, um, and there's just a lot of like a, a convergence of a lot of different people, mm-hmm. yeah. people's uh, histories on this land, 
all those things. Yeah. It's just like, it's why they call it the go. Yeah. I suppose. <laughs> I think that just clicked for me. <laughs> Literally just clicked for wow, me. Wow, we just saw it. There was an actual light bulb. <laughs> you saw it? Like, wait, oh, hey. I don't know how you kept that light bulb in your ear, but the way it just came <laughs> out on top was perfect. So I, I think it's all of that. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. I've, I think I've said this on the show before, but there's this Norman Mailer essay about the 68 convention here, and he uh-huh. talks about the uh, the unheard screams of the stockyards in the air informing yeah. like the like the texture of how people move through this air. Yeah. So that like the paint because they would cut out the, the this is a little graphic. They would like cut out the tongues of the animals so that yeah. they couldn't scream. Yeah. And then slaughter them. So all but those the animals were Ugh. still I yeah. know, right? <laughs> and like that's just like in the air, um, kind of like making everything saturated with that with that terror there. Mm. You know, it's wild. So, That's the neighborhood mm. I grew up in. Mm. Like, I grew up right by the stockyards mm-hmm. um, in the back of yards neighborhood mm-hmm. on 47th and Troop. Okay. Mm. And so, that's so interesting. Yeah. Like, I've never read that. And even before. if it's just metaphor, I think yeah. there is, there is something to it the way you were saying about like, just the, the histories and memories and mm-hmm. forgotten memories of what happens in these different locations. That's right. That, you know, soaks into the, the metaphorical or real, like, Earth, mm-hmm. yeah, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh huh. What That's do you think? What do I think about the 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 go being so termed? I think it's a scale thing, like us being such a a largely populated city, mm-hmm. but different from New York or L.A. Mm-hmm. So many, so much more of the infrastructure is rooted, mm-hmm. right? When you think of New York and L.A., I'm sure this is not accurate, but it feels like thirty to forty percent of the people who are there were born somewhere else, mm-hmm. right? Whether it's globally or nationally. Mm-hmm. And so you you know uh, I think a larger percentage of Chicago is second third generation mm-hmm. um, across the board in some ways right yeah. and so mm-hmm. so it's it's not people who are just coming in and, and going so like you can have the corruption of three generations <laughs> that's right uh, it's you know it being the 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 birthplace or the the testing ground of stateside neoliberalism yeah. mm-hmm. uh, so it's it's I think it's easier to steal on a larger scale here than ever, <laughs> oh, which puts yeah. a pressure on people, right? Like the the combination of LaSalle Street with being in the middle of the country, like mm-hmm. I think it, it has given those who have been able to harness structural power a larger percentage of control. And I think yeah. that just comes on. So it, it creates despair and conflict mm-hmm. in people, turn, but it also creates, I think, an energy and like a you know resistance I love the idea flat level the idea mm-hmm. of like I'm gonna pass this corruption on to my grandchild <laughs> yeah, yeah. it's like written in the will it's like got a family trust you will, you will extort in my name okay yeah. you know so I, I wanna get early where you are and reflecting in this transitional mm-hmm. season cause that's exciting but we, we have a segment here of gas and so I, I think it's time to give you your gas okay on the front end mm-hmm. uh, so you, you are, are, are somebody that you know I revere and respect deeply and and feel um, a sense of pride of like being able to have learned or to see you as an example. Um, I th- you know, as we have been trying to document the intersection of cultural and political movement here, mm-hmm. um, definitely on a local scale, you know, you have a perspective that is unique. But I think nationally, there are a few people that can really um, digest and interact with what is happening in this country, mm-hmm. especially in terms of the, the, the movement of young black people. Um, and there is, 
you have taken on, I've seen you, especially, you know, in, in my time in the Chicago chapter, take on so much responsibility. Mm-hmm. I saw you before there was an assistant of with every problem, Charlene <laughs> has to be called. Yeah. Um, and like multiplying that by five or by seven mm-hmm. or eight, there's a fierceness and a grace and a strength. Um, and I've also seen you take a lot on the chin mm. um, and in a way that I know I would and I know many others would retreat. Um, but there is a, a resilience in, in, in your leadership uh, that I think should be commended. And so I appreciate you Thank and I appreciate you. you being here. So with that, you know, we, we've, you're welcome. <laughs> we, 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 we've talked about, you know, the history. We like of to say things, nice things and then just skip past it. <laughs> so we, we, we've talked about BYP 100 and we'll get into mm-hmm. like, you know, the story, which is, you know, in some point, like a, a mythologized canon. Right. <laughs> uh, but, but, you have serving as, you know, in many ways, a, a representative face or a point person mm-hmm. for five years in a way that was tied into the identity of the organization, but also tied into your identity as yeah, a human being in the sure. world. Um, what what are you learning now that you are in the space as an author, where you're in the space as more of an independent personal mm-hmm. practitioner in the world? Uh, but so much of that work is also reflecting and analyzing your experience in this very unique role. What, what are some of the things you've learned in these past like six to nine months where you've been moving around and having to have all these new conversations? My goodness. It First of all, I, I'm a Leo. I'm a Leo, <laughs> and I am like constantly, I think, battling against my my natural Leoness. Because <laughs> uh, organizing is not kind in more ways than one. <laughs> uh, to hmm, I can only speak from my experience to women, uh, to mm-hmm. Black women who are in like highly visible leadership roles mm-hmm. uh, and who hold a lot of responsibility and have authority to do certain things. Because mm-hmm. I think people thought or think I have more authority than I actually did. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Over it's like things. it's an all or nothing type of thing. <laughs> right, and it just wasn't that. Like the way we made decisions, it wasn't just Charlene making decisions, even if people, if that was the perception, it mm-hmm. really wasn't that. Mm-hmm. So... I think that uh, it is constantly what what I've learned. It's just a lot. Uh, it's a lot. It's a lot. It's a lot. It's a lot of things that I've learned. And fighting against like that natural tendency of mine is that like humility mm-hmm. doesn't always serve like hmm. the 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 trajectory I want to go on or the work that needs mm. to be done even yeah and so I, I I literally remember sitting in conversations where people told me I took up too much space and on one hand like I get it like I'm five two what I you know. talking about <laughs> exactly like I'm five two uh, you know I don't know how much I weigh today but more than I weighed ten years ago um. And like knowing, like having a bigger view of what's happening around the city and across the country. And I'm like, you have no idea yeah. uh, what's like really popping off here and how much people like me have to struggle for the amount of visibility. And the people who struggled mm. before me mm-hmm. and us, um, what they had to go through in order for anybody to see what we're doing. And at the same time, I think this connects to the other thing that I learned is that I actually, the way that I approach leadership development with a lot of folks, like, it worked. Mm-hmm. Like, the organization <laughs> didn't fall apart because I'm no longer the director. Mm-hmm. Like, everything does, doesn't and did not depend on me. Mm-hmm. It just, it didn't. Mm-hmm. And that what I started, like, at least three or four years before I even left was like, who's going to take my job? 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Who's going to um, become leaders in this organization? And what I've seen a lot of leaders across the movement, because a lot of people left BYP 100 mm-hmm. and are leading other organizations. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think that's actually a testament to what we were supposed to be doing. Yeah. Like we said, we were serious about transformative leadership development for young black people. Mm-hmm. And I know so many people who came through the organization, many won't ever come back. Mm-hmm. And some that did come back, people who started organizations, stayed in movement, found a different space for themselves, the thing right. that worked better for them. And so it's a huge lesson for me is that actually investing in young black people is worth it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we and I had uh, impact beyond, I think, what... For sure, what I imagine would be possible, hmm. and it's not about getting credit. I don't need everybody to go back and say, like, go back and say, "Well, we did this for mm-hmm, you." Mm-hmm. No, that's actually the work of organizers. Yeah, the work of organizers. So that's a huge lesson that, like, over the past like six to nine months, and talking with people literally around the country, and just how much this work has touched folks, mm-hmm. how much it impacts people, and then seeing like my former students people that I trained long before BYP 100. Um, it's like low-key or hacky, mind-blowing. Yeah, and it's cool to see. It's like a great kind of big picture uh, or, or zoom-out perspective on when there are conflicts or things, you know, within an organization, things don't always go according to plan. Right. If the takeaway is that people go and create spaces that are in a similar ethos but just function differently that's actually that's fine the go- that's ideal because yeah. <laughs> then you have more people doing absolutely. more work you know absolutely it doesn't all have to live under one umbrella all the time and i and think sometimes can't. right whether whether it should or should it, yep. it won't that's right how do you work through the the pain of that though Ooh. you know because uh-huh. because yeah. speaking personally mm-hmm. you know what 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 i struggle with is we know how central relationship is to community and to yeah. building the world that we want. Um, and like, you know, it's going to take a few generations to really like build the framework of, of how we design these relationships. And so mm-hmm. as we're figuring that out, um, it, 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 especially like even it, it's, it's helped learning outside of the BYP space, like mm-hmm. how some of these patterns continue of just like internal conflict mm-hmm. of, you know, all of these triggers and traumas that oftentimes don't have to actually do with the room, but Mm -hmm. we're bringing that into the room. And then the fact that we're, you know, trying to build a new world from scratch and it is, it is hard. And sometimes we, you know, without being aware of it, we, we seep into our own norms. And so, you know, with that, there's a lot of strain. There's a lot of splintering that Mm -hmm. happens that is historical, right? That has happened each decade, each century. Uh, But once you're in it and, you know, folks who, are public in this, you know, us, you more than most, um, are held extra, you know, super accountable for all of mm-hmm. all of that tension. Oh, yeah. um, how have you, how do you deal with that pain? What have you learned about that pain? What is the shape yeah. of that pain for you? Because this work is painful. Oh yeah, I'm yes. I know as you can relate. Is, yeah. I know you can relate. And I'm a firm believer in like how we show up in our bodies is like how we show up in the world. And what happens in the world impacts our body. So if you look at my head, <laughs> I have <laughs> lots of gray hair. Shout lots of gray hair. A lot of gray hair. So that's number one. <laughs> How I deal with the pain, you know. Just channel I it think, into the grays. Yeah. It, cha- like it, it shows up in my body. Mm. It shows mm-hmm. up in my body. Mm. Yeah. And so like the stress and the anxiety 
I remember I got I think I got my first like set of like a little bit of gray gray hair when I was um in college mm-hmm. and doing like student activism and student mm-hmm. organizing work. Mm-hmm. And so that's one thing. And so um I would say in first time was in 2014, I did this program called Black Organizer for Leadership and Dignity. And I highly suggest it mm-hmm. to all black folks who are doing organizing work mm-hmm. around this country, uh, for sure. And there's been a little work that they've done internationally as well. And so Bold taught me that, like, really taught me uh, how to understand that how I show up in my body is how I show up in the world. And that, like, how to embody leadership, like, to actually go for embodied and transformative leadership. And it helped me in 2014, like, a year into starting BYP 100, uh, it helped save my life. Mm -hmm. And then I did my second track of it, uh, of the uh, trainings or the retreats. Uh, in 2017, when I knew I was going to be on my way out of mm. BYP 100, and again, it, it it I was at a different place in my my own leadership. And this time, we actually like there were staff members in the room. I didn't have staff in 2014, <laughs> and so in 2017, like seeing that, and like still saying having to say to my well, actually, it was a comrade, Jonathan Stith, told me like this experience is for you. You need this for you. And it helped me process through a lot of the pain Mm -hmm. that I've been holding. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, it's hard when I see, like, I've seen young people who, like, the first time they ever spoke on behalf of any issue at an action was as a BYP 100 member who will never say that they did this thing. Mm -hmm. Will shit all over the organization. Am I able to curse on this? Yeah. Okay. Will shit all over the organization. (laughs) Will do whatever, whatever. And it hurts. Mm -hmm. It hurts. I'm like... I was a part of teaching you how to do this thing. Yeah. And now you just just have really mean things to say about us all the time. <laughs> um, and I will not discount like the the role that many of us in leadership being women has in a lot of this stuff. Mm-hmm. I think it has a lot to do with a lot of things, the expectations people had of me. Um, like in, in some ways I was like mammified by some folks. <laughs> like, no, I'm not your mother. Like yeah. I'm 33 now. I was 27, I guess, going into 28 when we started this mm-hmm. thing. Yeah, and you're working with, you know, 18 to Ooh, 25. honey. <laughs> it took me a long time to, like, really realize what was happening. I'm like, literally, y'all, I have a decade of more experience than you have in this thing. I'm not going to argue with you about why yeah. we need to have a meeting. Right. <laughs> but, like, it took me a long time to realize that. That what you're saying is like people bring in people bring in things into the space that have nothing mm-hmm. to do with the space, mm-hmm. and it, I wish I understood earlier on that it wasn't about me, mm-hmm. like like what I did, and that I could not really I couldn't control or mm-hmm. like determine how somebody would show up, mm-hmm. right? Um, and that would have saved me a lot of pain. And I think the thing that I I learned in watching you and then watching the relationship of all of these people to you is even when criticism is valid mm-hmm. i think you you have a right to your limitation right <laughs> and and that's what do you mean by that then is hmm. why do we expect the powerful if we want to use that word why do we expect the talented um if we're if we're like when we're in community right, right. so mm-hmm. like you know the state or, you know, folks in, like, corporate power is different. Yeah. Um, but 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 folks that are in, like, radical Leadership, liberation yeah. work are not perfect. At all. Right? And so, you know, to expect you or anybody to be 
the the graceful fairy that comes <laughs> down and not only is so effective, but also can handle all of these deep emotional human needs. Yeah. Uh, when you know we don't know what your traumas are or what things trigger you or you or know even just what your morning was you know so so, so it, <laughs> yeah. it's not always like the big deep thing mm-hmm. yeah. so you know yeah. I, I, I like as as long as it is not active harm or manipulation or dishonest right right like impatience or you know not having the time for some like it may have impact and like we right. then have to be accountable and like address that impact uh but what i see a lot and just beyond you yeah uh is folks who are in a more vulnerable or in a more public facing position, mm-hmm. um, their humanity and limitations are then held against them. Uh, oh yeah. The, and you know, I, I literally, I saw it at every level of the organization. I mm-hmm. saw, I mean, you were in leadership. Mm-hmm. So I saw how people treated just chapter leadership. <laughs> like folks ain't paid. Mm-hmm. They, <laughs> like, they are signing up to do this thing. They're volunteering. They're spending their time. And I'm like, how dare you be upset because they didn't like respond to your email immediately. <laughs> and like I saw, like, I see how people treat folks yeah. and it hurt. Like I, it, it went beyond and it goes beyond paid staff. Mm-hmm. It goes like to folks who are just doing this stuff. And no, we do. We should not escape responsibility or accountability. Hell no. Right. Like if I do something, like you said, dishonest or like harm somebody, things like that. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I should be like held accountable by the community of people that I'm responsible to mm-hmm. should do that. Just don't hold me to like a ridiculous standard right. and like actually work to hold us all to like some basic standard. Right of responsibility for this thing. And I get it. If I'm being paid to do something, like, yeah, you deserve to know what's in the budget. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And you got to pay your dues (laughs) if you want, like, this thing. But, yes, you get to know where the money is going, where it's coming from. And that was, like, our approach from the very beginning to figure out how to get people that information. And when working with folks who are used to folks treating them like trash— that shows up mm-hmm. when you used to like being treated like trash by your family, by the state, by your employer, school, the school you yeah. go to, all these things. I understand. I get like the level of defensiveness that people bring into the space. And yeah. so, so much of like our work before we even get to the campaign stuff, it's like all this other stuff is in the room. Yeah. And most of us are not equipped and did not sign up for that shit. Right. Either. And so the the whole the 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 mental health work is so 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 important and most if not all of our organizations are not actually equipped to to handle it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it seems like that standard that you can hold each other to, or that and like that in doing that work of being like hold me to a standard that is yeah. reasonable. A huge part of the work is just figuring out like how do we root the standard that we hold each other to mm-hmm. in this ethos or in that's this right. ideology that we hold. That's right, and like that's a. That's a starting point is mm-hmm. like if we're trying to make the world do this, how do we treat each other in a way that is in line with that, too? That's right. And what do we have when there's conflict? So it's mm-hmm. it's a mess. <laughs> oh, yeah. But I want to go back to something you said earlier, which was that the training you did in 2014. And as much or as little as you want to share, yeah. it saved your life oh, in, yeah. in various ways. What, what did you mean by that? And mm-hmm. what, what are the pieces from that that were useful for you that maybe could be useful for someone else? Yeah. So bold. Um 
I was in the cohort. We we make we joke about it saying we're the cohort that started the movement. But <laughs> I was in the cohort with this is the first time I met Alicia Garza. First mm. time I met Patrice Colors, mm. Opal Tometi, Hiram Rivera, Johnson, like a whole bunch of people who were like had been doing organized work for a very long time before mm-hmm. like right. this whole thing, mm-hmm. like for the past like six or seven <laughs> years. And so uh, in that there were maybe uh, 30, less than 30 of us in this cohort. Mm-hmm. And we do a lot of somatics work, which is mm-hmm. like so much like um, generative somatics work based on like on your body. Yeah. And um, the first retreat that I went to or first training that I went to, I was like, I don't completely dissociated from mm-hmm. what was going on, right? We just, I think this was like maybe February or March. We started VYP 100 the previous July. And it was like, go, 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 go. Like, and I was the only staff, paid staff member. There were other people who were definitely like moving mm-hmm. as if yeah. they were like full-time staff members and weren't being paid. Like Jessica Pierce, Jason Perez, Rosa Frie, Terrence Laney. It was a, a, a lot of people who were formative um, in like building the organization. And so at this training, they like, even the simple exercise, like this hand-on-heart exercise, mm-hmm. Where you have a partner and you ask for their consent if you could put your hand on their um, chest, like right above their heart. And we take a stance, like a centered stance, uh, and I'll talk about centering in a second, where we just ask basic questions like, how are you? Yeah. You know, uh, we develop commitments um, to ourselves and to movement. Um, I think the commitment I came out of the first one was like, I'm a commitment to exercising my intellect without apology. Hmm. I think that was my my yeah, I think it was that, that I think that may have been like my first uh oh, cultivating my mental wellness. I am a commitment to cultivating my mental wellness and exercising my intellect without apology. Mm-hmm. And that was like my first commitment that I wrote out of that. Hmm. And so it takes us through that. It takes us through these various exercises where we talk about how do you feel supported? What makes you feel supported? And literally we'll have a person or two people stand in different parts of like in front of you and sat on the sides and in back of you so you can feel it so it's not just a head exercise it's a whole body exercise and so it's safe because it made me get back into my body yeah i was gonna make me get back into myself yeah because i was somewhere else Mm -hmm. somewhere else was that in your head absolutely in my head thinking about um meeting folks needs Thinking yeah. about building this organization in a responsible way. Because yeah. what we had ahead of ourselves was like, and what I'd never done before, I'd never built a national organization before. Yeah. I'd never built an organization before, <laughs> you know? I built stuff. Like, I'm a builder. Mm-hmm. I love to build shit. I mm-hmm. love it. I love to take something that doesn't exist and create it. So I'd built projects, departments, programs, mm-hmm. things like that before. Mm-hmm. Right. And so the prospect of building a, a a whole, like helping to build a whole organization was exciting to me because I like to build stuff. And at the same time, like figuring out what was our tax status going to be? How yeah. are we going to fundraise? What will staffing look like? What is a member? What issues are we going to work on? All those things, uh, all while, like, you know, we're still being human beings. Right. Um, so Bo allowed me to find community. Yeah. And this was before, like, 
BLM hit really, really big. Mm-hmm. This was before August 9, 2014, right, right, right. Yeah. when we were in bold. Mm-hmm. And so it was a sweet time because yeah. the shit really hit the fan after yeah. August 9th. Yeah, it's funny. I'm, I'm not like big on traditional notions of divinity, but that yeah. almost sounds divine yeah. for y'all to have been in the room to be prepared <laughs> instead right? of just like reacting, reacting or responding. Yeah. That's, that's, it was wild. That is wild. <laughs> That's mad wild. <laughs> <laughs> and like I was roommates with Opal. It's just it's so much has changed since then, y'all. We were mm. um, actually this past weekend. There was a move for Black Lives uh, Convergence in mm. Atlanta, mm-hmm. and there were somewhere between 250, 300 Black organizers from Black uh, from organizations mm-hmm. in the room, and people who'd been involved in the InfraBL ecosystem, like um, specifically in some kind of way, or Info wanted BL to be for the, movement, movement for, for Black, Black Lives. Lives. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you. And um, what I said because I, I did, I ended up leading the the session on like our history at the in the opening they, they asked me to do it and I was like uh, I don't know because I'm like I'm not trying to really be visible like trying to you know t- I'm trying to take a back seat in many ways um, as a leader and I talked about how like there are people who were there in the beginning of the formation of movement for black lives like as an entity like I was in those meetings in the first meetings mm-hmm. for and for BL uh, and uh, and they're people, they're no longer here. Mm-hmm. They're, no, they're no longer in this room. Right. Some of them are in prison. Some right. of them uh, are are no longer alive. Right. Some of them are um, no longer in movement or just ain't fucking with us. Yeah, and some <laughs> of them are consultants. <laughs> some of them are consultants. <laughs> you know, some of them ain't fucking with us for good reason. You know, it's yeah. like not just a bunch of people being petty. Right. Uh, and like, it's not the same. Right. Things have changed. Yeah. And I feel like this weekend in more ways than one was a turning point, at least for that ecosystem, because there were mm. a lot of new people in the room. Mm. And I'm like, y'all, this is all about the change. Yeah. Again, and I hope people are ready for that. So it feels like a new moment? Yeah. <laughs> it feels like a new moment. Yeah. Because I don't know if folks have um, observed this, but like since, I don't know, maybe 2016, 2017-ish until now, like, black folks ain't been turning up in the same yeah. way yeah. as we were, like, mm-hmm. pre... That 2014, 2016 right? was... In some ways, like, pre-Anita Alvarez being yeah. out, I feel like shit changed after that. Yeah. Well, at least in Chicago. But yeah, so Definitely how much of that you think is that some just some Trump shit? How much of it is a lot internal? It's just burnout? What, what do you, what do you mm-hmm. ascribe it to? I think it's a, all of those things. I think it's burnout. There were so many breakdowns from 2015 to 2016 in Chicago alone. Mm -hmm. Organizations that no longer exist. People who are no longer in movement. People moved to different organizations. And I don't think it was just the one campaign um, to oust Anita Alvarez that involved a lot of different people, a lot of organizations. I think it was just like it came to a head Mm -hmm. with things that we hadn't dealt with. Um, right. And I don't know if we could have dealt with it. I don't know. Yeah. I can't like right. say it's not what a, we should have done. Regret thing. Yeah, well, you I was, were there. I, I was you there. Were there. That, that was that. Yeah, that definitely was a turning point for us locally. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't have an, an analysis of yeah. like hmm. what should we have learned. How, how do you? I, I want you to frame the complications. In as much or as little as you want. Yeah, yeah. So, I think it's so much. 
I think there were fissures that existed before 2015 that just burst wide open mm-hmm. in a moment of high pressure. Yeah, and I wasn't aware of them. You know? <laughs> I was so, there was a lot of them I, I didn't know about. I was so naive and like oh eager, like, oh, I'm about, to, I'm about to shake shit up. I'm, yeah. about to, I'm about to heal. I'm about to There were things that I didn't know about. <laughs> things that like people who've been in the, or like people who've been in the organizing scene before 2013. Yeah. There were fissures that existed before that yeah. and they were aggravated because then the I think the spotlight was on Chicago in a yeah. way that it hadn't been in a very long time. People were called to like make decisions, including myself, that sometimes they worked out, sometimes they didn't. Um, there were new people who came in who were pushed into leadership a lot uh, faster than they should have been. Mm-hmm. Um, it was. I think it was all of that. And I know I, I got a list of decisions that I wish I would have made differently mm-hmm. during that time period. Mm-hmm. And... I think it's also like the fact that I think we've come out on the other side of it in many in many ways. Um, not everything is like perfect by mm-hmm. any means, but it was a lot of that, like just wounds, yeah. um, things that needed to change, people who needed to go other places, and it happened in this. Like literally, we we go from doing a hundred person plus action mm-hmm. at the International um, Association for the Chiefs of Police Conference in October yeah, and that shit was of crazy. 2015. That was the McCormick Place joint, right? And McCormick Place. That shit was nothing. Right? Yeah. To a month later, we are at court, and that is the same week um, that the video of the killing of Laquan McDonald is released. Mm-hmm. The exact same day, we had a press conference the day of court for all the folks who took arrest um, during the IACP action. We have a press conference and you have all these young people who've never really done strategies together. Mm-hmm. Never, and because it's multiple organizations. Mm-hmm. People who have different decision-making processes. All these things who are now called, like I remember Veronica uh, Morris Moore being called to like make decisions mm-hmm. in this moment. Mm-hmm. And the amount of, I think we underestimated the amount of pressure mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. that a lot of people were holding in that moment. Yeah. Uh, at the same time, y'all, we were dealing with threats. Mm-hmm. Um, literally, like I had, I have, I'm so salty that I didn't call William Calloway back that one day. He sent me a message and he was like, call me, Charlene, call me. Because he just left a meeting where people were threatening our lives. And he wanted to tell me about it. Mm-hmm. He wanted to tell me about it because folks were talking about how we were queer. Like, like shit was wild. And I appreciate William for, like, um, wanting to tell me, mm-hmm. you know, and, like, trying to, like, tell us and inform us about what was going down. And we weren't, like, close. We weren't in close relationship. We weren't in the same organization. Yeah. Nothing like that. And so all of that was happening. People had videotaped us leaving. And then, and then, and then, and then, and then, <laughs> <laughs> the same damn week, at, you know what I'm saying, like yeah, with yeah. Malcolm London, yeah. learning, getting reports about that, mm-hmm. uh, reports of sexual assault, that all happened in the same week, y'all. Yeah. The week like of Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. And then we do the shutdown on Magnificent Mile with a whole bunch of people. I almost fought men twice my size who mm-hmm. were like threatening us. Yeah. Cause yeah. I'm like, I'm I'm still from the low end. <laughs> and <laughs> I'll fight somebody bigger than me, even if mm-hmm. I get my ass beat. Mm-hmm. I will still fight you. I fight police. I don't care. <laughs> Probably not the best decision, yeah. but I will still do it. And all of that happened in the same week. Yeah. And then you have these group of young people who take the campaign to oust Anita Alvarez to the next level. Yeah. Right. Not for, we have folks from Masada's daughters. Um, Let us breathe. BYP one hundred. 
um, people from BLM Chicago, a group like these folks who decide to just take it up a notch, mm-hmm. which built on a campaign that had been going on across the city with people from different sets of ideologies. But make no mistake, like, the work that they did turned it up and I think made it a national mm-hmm. issue. Mm-hmm. And I say they because I really wasn't a part of the planning of those things. Yeah. I was a part of the other work mm-hmm. um, in, 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 in that time period. But I think it was all that stuff was happening at the exact same time. Right. And there's no space to even, like, just poke your head up above the oh, water yeah. and, and take a breath and be like... Forget about the big stuff. Like, what are we? Like, have I eaten? Have I? Like, what? What's going on oh, yeah. in my body? Talk. You know that. that and, kind of oh, stuff. Yeah. and that's coming out of you know a year of a, you know, let us breathe started in August of 2014, mm-hmm. and by November of 2015, dozens of actions. Right. So right? so that whole year right. yeah. into that moment. It, 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 yeah, it, it is the most intensified thing of like these new ideas into new action right. without any real. And we're just in a new world, like, you yep. know, organizing via social media. Right. This yep. is like as Twitter is becoming a, a yep. real thing that is interacting with national yeah. media. It is a it, it's wow. I'll, I'll <laughs> so this is some of the mm-hmm. like compounding pressures of it that leads to some of these conflicts. But mm-hmm. I do want to also like bring in the the balance of the joy or openness or excitement of it. Oh, yeah. Because I remember... that's why we started the show. Right. Yeah. Was mm-hmm. like in that moment being like, there is this energy here that, you know, who knows what actually changing this means. Right. But like, and maybe it's just 23-year-old naivete, but like, it really felt like, oh, something is about to change. Yeah. Like, we're right on the brink and it might actually come from this city yeah. and it might actually come from these 10, 15, 100 people who are in this room right now. Right. Did you feel like... How do you how do you understand that feeling now oh. looking back? We also want reparations. Yeah. And at the same time, I was with, just like, how did word. we survive yeah. <laughs> in this time? I'm not still alive. A very long, like an ongoing campaign, right, for reparations for the torture victims of uh, Commander John right. Burge and people under his command won reparations from the city of Chicago. And BYP, I always say this, BYP 100 didn't even exist when this campaign started, mm-hmm, right? right? So we were, and us and a lot of other young people got in on the tail end. Mm-hmm. And what I'm told is that, like, what I was told then and how people, like, continue to talk about is that we were able to breathe, like, a lot of energy mm-hmm. into the campaign. Yeah. And to be able to be a part of that victory yeah. is phenomenal. Yeah. yeah. Like, to be like, wait, wait a minute. Because I remember the shirts saying, you know, reparations now. Mm-hmm. And then the day of it, it said they, reparations won. They switched the W They the switched end. it around. <laughs> and I'm like, whoa. Mind I didn't even get yeah, the flip yeah, 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 they flipped it. <laughs> and it's just like, whoa. And being at the celebration at the Silver Room, mm-hmm. once it, mm-hmm. it moved to Hyde Park by then. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just remember being in the elevator with people leaving like across the street the church across the street from city hall going up in the elevator to like the celebration that happened immediately afterwards and just like talking about it i think i was in the elevator with kelly hayes Mm. and some other folks um and that's not ever happened for black people in this country yeah for real it's like a reparations package it ain't just for the group of people who experienced it's not a settlement right it was for like the our children yeah in our schools yeah i guess just phenomenal what they were able to do yeah and i've just paid a very small part in it Mm -hmm. and being able to contribute to that um 
it's, it's just a hell of a feeling. Even if you didn't contribute, just to observe it. Right? right? Like, like Just to see it, to know the people. It, 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 yeah. It's possible. Yeah. Like, it tell, mm-hmm. it show what is possible, even in a city like Chicago. And that's not getting someone out of, not to undermine that. Yeah, but, you know, different. This isn't a political Ooh, campaign. This isn't an electoral. Mm-hmm. This is, you know, this is, this is restorative. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's, it's reparative, yeah. yeah. And what, I think it's also... T- uh, the the questions to be asked and the lessons that I'm sure people are learning now is like what happens after you win, yeah. And I don't I don't know because I'm not like close to the thing. It's like okay, so you won a thing. Now you actually have to build the thing that you said. Like they actually have to build this community center, mm-hmm. right? That in and of itself is a whole nother organizing project. <laughs> right. You know? And like, then you got getting it. it in the campaign, getting teachers to actually teach it in uh-huh. the curriculum and get like all that. You all know, the work that the happens after stuff. that, yeah. And so I think those wins um, that we've had in Chicago, like even the the very much so electoral campaign to oust Anita Alvarez inspired the organizers in St. Louis to oust their mm-hmm. um, district attorney, Bob McCulloch, right. yeah. who, um, you know, refused to, um, I can't remember exactly what he did with um, that man who killed um, Mike Brown. Yeah, Wilson, yeah. He, he decided to, no indictment. To not indict him, mm-hmm, right. Mm-hmm. And so they got him out. And they were like, you know, we were inspired by what they did in Chicago. <laughs> and like, make no mistake, organizers in Chicago did the same thing after Fred Hampton was assassinated. <laughs> like, organized to oust mm-hmm. the um, district attorney. Hammerhand, was that his name? I think so. Yeah, he was the fucking worst. You know? That, is, a, <laughs> you know, that like, is an old school Chicago DA name. Okay, okay. <laughs> So they I can did like, that. I can, like, picture his comb over. <laughs> right? They did that, like, you know, decades ago. And it's like this generation, I think how we even approached it, it wasn't just about ousting this person and supporting another person because we never endorsed Kim Fox. Yeah. Right. Like, I do not, I'm saying for the, I do not believe in progressive prosecutors. <laughs> yeah. Get out of here. Yes, Ain't no radical yeah. prosecutor. <laughs> Larry Krasner just blocked uh, Mumia Abu-Jamal's appeal. Mm. Like, in Philadelphia. And he was supposed to, like, people yeah. were celebrating him like yeah. he, was, he was a shit. Exactly. Yeah. And so I think the best that we can do, and Rashad Robinson was saying this the other day, he's the executive director of Color, Color Change. Change. He was saying, like, you know, our role in electing prosecutors isn't just to, like, you know, champion them or something like that. He said it's to show our power. Mm -hmm, It's to show, like, what we can do and to even, like, uh, how we can influence things. And just as much as we can elect you, we can get you out of office. And so I think a prosecutor strategy has a role in a thing. In and of itself, we're never going to get a prosecutor that's liberating our people. And and even when these victories aren't liberatory and sometimes we don't even, like— they're not even fully exciting for us, mm-hmm, right? But mm-hmm. we we are proud of right. our work. That's right. Um, it is interesting to see that they have real impact, right? That's so right. we did not necessarily we we don't I'm not gonna talk about the race, but we didn't mm-hmm. necessarily get Rom out of office, right? But that choice Absolutely. to like ah, I don't want that smoke no more, exactly. <laughs> right? I'm convinced <laughs> is real, or even like just from you know, a headache perspective. They probably weren't okay. coming here, but. I heard, and I didn't read this, mm-hmm. so I, I say this with a grain of salt, but I heard that they're part of the report from like the Amazon headquarters uh-huh. thing was the political resistance was oh, so wow. strong in Chicago. Because we was going to turn up. That that was part of the like, nah, <laughs> we, don't, we don't want that smoke. <laughs> I like, would be surprised. <laughs> I would a, be surprised. There was a really funny, uh, really funny tweet thread today. Uh, Someone tweeted like, "If the new, you know, if New York chooses to reject it again, Chicago has open has a job." Uh-huh. And Nate and Eve, gave, Eve. both went back. He was like, "No, no, 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 no. We're all we're, sick. We're the good. city's too cold. <laughs> it's too dangerous. You don't want to come here. No. 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 South Side. Okay, it's right there. Okay, <laughs> you don't want to do that. So, so to pivot yeah. a little bit, you, you you called yourself a builder, 
Mm-hmm. And so in this time, what are you excited or projecting or mm-hmm. have dreams of building? Yeah. A cabinet? <laughs> you know, I do have a, you know, some Butch Dyke tendencies where I do enjoy building <laughs> lumber. I did build my own garden beds last oh, summer. Wow. So that's, that's real. <laughs> yes. What'd you plant? Absolutely. Oh my gosh. All kinds of stuff. So I'm like totally into it. I did um like um two different types, two no, three different types of uh, heirloom tomatoes. Okay. I did um Thai chili peppers, I did habaneros, jalapenos, nice. Carolina Reapers, Trinidadian scorpion peppers, Damn. okra, southern peas um yeah that's mostly it how'd you learn to grow things like that oh or I were you just trying it as you went i was trying as i went yeah 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 i said i because I, what was i this summer i was gearing up for like the book tour and all that other stuff mm-hmm. and um i was like okay i need to do this thing and i bought a house and I got a house because I want. I needed. A, I wanted a backyard mm-hmm. so I could grow stuff. Because that's a part of my uh, like my my value set for Black liberation and yeah. how I understand that we will get there. It's like all of our folks. People talk about Fannie Lou Hamer a lot, and not everybody knows about her work on the Freedom Farms after mm-hmm. you know a lot of the organizing she did with the Mississippi uh, Democratic Freedom Democratic Party. Mm-hmm. There it is. Um, and she said, you know, it's cool if we can vote. And if we can't feed our people, yeah. then you know we will literally die. Mm-hmm. And so we know we know many people know Fannie Lou Hamer for the political organizing that she did. And this woman was clear about self determination yeah. and food sovereignty and land sovereignty. And so if I can, I think when I think about my post apocalyptic skills, we, or that, my zombie, I love this. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> becoming or a recurring segment. On zombie apocalypse skills. Uh-huh. Ain't nobody trying to ask me how to develop a campaign <laughs> or whatever or write an article. We're going to vote these zombies out of the district. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I'm Ain't not, nobody trying I'm to... I'm not going to be emceeing it to anymore. <laughs> you know? I got to get some You know what I'm saying? You got to get some skills. <laughs> so I'm like, I'm going to know how to grow food. <laughs> so hilarious. this is like my post-zombie apocalypse skill. And so, and I love food. I love food from seed to the time it makes it to your mouth. Mm -hmm. Like, that's like, I really enjoy the whole process. And so I wanted to learn how to grow. It's a beautiful thing to be able Mm -hmm. to just see that. Like, Mm -hmm. from the perspective of a builder Mm -hmm. or of a grower, Mm -hmm. like, the tangibility of it, especially when, you know, when you grow a movement or a campaign, it gets messy in all the ways we've been talking about. But, like, usually, if you don't mess up, if you plant a seed, it grows into a plant and then you get food. It's like... It's going to grow. I don't have to have a circle about this. I don't need a meeting. <laughs> I, exactly. I just make don't have to propose it. I just make oh, dinner. Just I can just no do LOI it. for my tomatoes. At all. <laughs> at all. You know? And I'm just like, that's another thing about this phase of my life, which Lettuce is weird. Lettuce of intense. <laughs> Lettuce of intense. That's a weird thing about this period of my life. Because I am so used to the proposal, the co- the discussion, the consensus making process, the voting, all of that. Like the, the democracy, the, the debrief, the revote, the revote, <laughs> the everything. I'm so used to moving that way in the world. Yeah. And I'm still like a, like a commitment to that. Like when in community with people having like collective decision making processes that make sense for the group. And it's just like, now it's just like, I do what I want. Mm. And I'm like, ooh, I still got to make sure I don't get too wild out here. Because <laughs> yeah. I still have people who can collect me and people that I'm, like, responsible. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. Too. Mm-hmm. But is there, so, a, yeah. is there a, like, a joy in that of, like, we don't have to have an agenda for me to make a decision for me? <laughs> Does that feel good? That, that, in some ways it feels good. And in other ways it's like. Probably some guilt. Yeah, you know. 
yeah. it's like, whoa. Hmm. Am I making the right decisions? Mm-hmm. And to your question about like, what am I building now yeah. and yeah. stuff? This consideration comes up a lot because I'm working on building a, a actually like a leadership institution, a leadership mm-hmm. development institution called the Chicago Center for Leadership and Transformation, uh-huh. and it's going to do um, training political education. I want to do some fun stuff um, with language. So a lot of black folks who are in organizing, many uh, many of us only speak English. Not all of us, but many of us hmm. do. And it really is a huge barrier yeah. to our ability to organize across black communities and our ability to, to organize globally. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so like, we can like really throw down with folks in Venezuela because our asses don't speak Spanish. Yeah, like is you Spanish. Know? What you would go go with? We're gonna first? start with Spanish. Okay. We're gonna start with Spanish, and then eventually I want to expand to like French and Haitian Creole. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, whole bunch of languages. What would whole you? Bunch. What would be the language? So you mentioned those. Is there another language for either that you like would love to be able to speak? That I would love to be able yeah. to speak. I'm working on my Spanish. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I don't know if I have the time to learn Arabic. That was that's the one for me of yeah. like I want to be able to mm. speak Arabic. Yeah. I do not want to take the time to learn it's Arabic, a but lot. It, yeah, it's a whole it's so language. different. Yeah. Cuz Spanish is like first of all I've been learning Spanish and like I grew up in a Spanish speaking neighborhood. Mm-hmm. I've been around Spanish language most of my life. Yeah. I've not been in like seeing it, reading mm-hmm. it, taking classes, all that stuff and so the just learning the familiarity curve. To your the ear. familiarity like m- many signs in this country will be in English and in Spanish. It's just different. And then obviously just like to get in like linguistics like nerdum, yeah. like Arabic doesn't fall like in that that language mm-hmm. family, mm-hmm. right? So ain't no oh this word is similar to <laughs> yeah. this word. It's not, <laughs> not happening. You know what I'm saying? Like <laughs> it's not like happening. Mouth structure exactly. and sentence structure. Yeah. 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 I, I think one we could throw in there that like is a sleeper is Portuguese. Hmm. Oh yeah, all those get, black people you, in Brazil. You get that Brazil. Oh yeah. Move. Oh yeah. yeah. What scares me? So this is some real nerd mm-hmm. linguistic shit, right? It. So what scares me <laughs> is that. So I believe that we will not be completely free until we speak new languages mm-hmm. that are not colonial. So French, English, Spanish, mm-hmm. and I think getting free. It, part of. And getting free can be the creation of that language. But with mm-hmm. the world being so globalized, with digital communication, my understanding of the history of how language is formed is like from separation mm. and from like being distinct and being. And so I don't know how That's right. we will be able to make new languages anymore right. now that everybody is communicating and yeah. there's not that same distance. So it just might not be words, though. It might be symbols or it Dialect. could be some... Or it yeah. could be some technological thing that doesn't even have to do with your mouth. You know, to get real weird with it, you know, it could be some some digital signal so, that functions communication ah, in a different way. Because emojis, is, those are that's yeah, a language. Yeah, yeah. yeah, some hieroglyphs. Right. right? That, I, that I do not <laughs> right? speak fluent. Oh, you don't speak fluent emoji? <laughs> no. Oh. That's why I'm terrified. That is, I am looking forward, hopefully, to someday having children. Mm-hmm. I am terrified about not being the way, like, like. Did you ever like when you were on AIM, like POS, like parent over shoulder? Oh my. Like with the you shit that my kids AIM. Are... Everybody don't know what AIM is. AOL instant message for folks who are like, yeah, what that, is AIM? That kicked the game <laughs> off. Parent over shoulder. If I was a parent, every time I came up to my kid and they're just like, POS, I'd be furious. <laughs> 
But to your point about making new language, they've tried. I mean, not in a liberatory way, in the same way. But you have you read about like Esperanto and all that? You've told me about. Yeah, Yeah. you can't like make a language though. It has to like emerge. Right. Well, that's why. And that shit just sounds goofy. Yeah. What's Esperanto? So there was a convening of people from all over the world Mm -hmm. in the '70s as part of the like kind of new agey, but also uh, like beginning of globalizing in. I, I don't even know enough. Basically, it was mm-hmm. like an international consortium of linguists and scholars and people who did all kinds of stuff to create a global language mm. using roots from all different languages around the okay. world that could be spoken, you know, for global communication. Oh, okay. So they built the language and there were at its peak like hundreds of thousands of people who spoke this language. Really? Um, but it, it faded and faded. But yeah, there's a whole oh. schools. You can, you know, you can study it. There are dictionaries. There's a whole thing. They, it was that. a, it was a world building project. Huh. But like you said, that's not how language evolves. Yeah. Like it's not a top down thing. Right. Right. It comes from like a general like real need to communicate. It takes that's a good right. good century or two. Right. To, <laughs> to, wow. to get that going. Yeah. Wow. Um, awkward pivot. Do you? Did you see yourself oh, as a just an organized person personally? Uh, Whoa, no. I, I always no. say nobody puts the disorganization in organization. Okay. Like organization. Yeah, that's okay. that's that's the thing I try to be like really transparent about is that oh, no. I never saw myself and I do not have the, the actually what is probably most fundamental to organizing are probably mm-hmm. my greatest weaknesses. I am a disorganized organizer. <laughs> and I do it because it's needed uh-huh. and we don't have enough. Uh-huh. And hopefully there will be someone else who can do it so I can do things that I'm I'm good at. <laughs> really? Uh because you know, because my, my, you know, committed to, to movement, you know, I, I, I use this word carefully, but committed to like revolutionary yeah. practice and building. And so right now we need to organize to get to that. Uh-huh. Uh, and so, you know, in order to say the things I want to say, yeah. you, you know, to validate it, you have to put it to the ground. Uh, but yeah, I struggle consistently because it's like not my skill set. Uh-huh. And you are one of the people when like I imagine like who are the examples of <laughs> of being good in traditional ways. Mm-hmm. Is that was that true? Was that something you, you had you know in school? Like what was or your pencil case looking other, like other work life? Oh. Were you diligent about no. your correspondence a, in your first world? First of all, I was a horrible student. Mm. Meaning like, you know, yeah. doing homework. Cause ah, the nah. problem is <laughs> I could sit in class and listen. Let's right. just talk about it. And like <laughs> take the exam and still do better than people who study. Mm-hmm. Right. Because I like I have a really sharp memory. But oddly enough, it's, it's a little bit off. A couple months ago, I was losing my memory. Like I couldn't remember shit. Mm-hmm. And this is like during the, the book tour. I couldn't mm-hmm. remember anything. Ah. And it was like during that transition period. Holding, in, right? That. Holding all the information about mm-hmm. BYP 100 that I had. And about, like, what the hell I was going to do with my life moving forward. It was too much. So I just started to forget things. Short-term things or long-term things? Short-term things. things mm-hmm. A lot. Because um, I am a, I tend to be a very organized person now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But growing up, no. I'm also the oldest of three. Mm. Um, I was most organized, I think, growing up when I was working in groups with people. So I was, like, the captain of my dance team. Mm-hmm. So I had to, like, have myself organized and help other people be organized. I, I have been an on-time person okay. most of my life okay. wow. <laughs> that has been me yeah shout out to you for most, being of, the, an time person. most of the time <laughs> i try rare, i try yeah i try i try were you the person who like in the group project 
was like, fine, I'll just do it. <laughs> um, yes. I always got my... <laughs> is what that laugh that was means. a telling laugh. Probably. I don't know. You should ask some people I was in a group with. I don't know. They might say like, something man, different. Charlene, no, they, they were taking right? up too much space. Exactly. 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 And sometimes I probably did. Uh, it's something to learn, I think, that just because you can do something, that you shouldn't always do it. Mm-hmm. I think that's a leadership skill. Yeah. It's like, yeah, sure, you can order the food for the meeting. That's easy for you. You can just do it on your phone. And what does it mean to have somebody make that somebody else's responsibility Mm -hmm. or allow somebody else to make that their responsibility so they can learn Mm -hmm. what it means to say, like, if you don't do this thing, then we don't eat at the meeting. And that impacts other people. Mm -hmm. There's a lot to learn in there. And a part of, like, how I train and develop people, uh, sometimes it's, like, against what they would like. But somebody tells me that they're, like, afraid to do a one-on-one. If I'm teaching, I'm like, okay, come on up here. I'm going to have you model the one-on-one. <laughs> like, right. that's the the way I like to do stuff is by, like, really having people, like, I will put you into a situation. If you yeah. give me consent to do that, I will put you in the thing yeah. so you can learn how to do the thing instead of me just telling you how to do so it. So you're safe but not comfortable. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Because I'm not, like, pushing you out, like, you know, to, I don't know, operate a boat. Or something like that, even though that is an organizing skill. Just mm-hmm. to be clear, people do need to know how to operate boats. <laughs> <laughs> we need more people who can operate boats. Shout out to Damon's dad, actually. Really? He yeah. knows how to operate yeah. a boat? He's about that boat life. Yeah, he is about the boat life. Then he's needed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he's we need that. We need that. that. You know? And so, yeah, like, I think it's super important to give people space yeah. to uh, do things. Like, um, I was in the car with my partner, Mary Hooks. Um, mm, she's a co-director out. of Southerners on New Ground. And she was on the phone. I was being nosy. And she <laughs> was talking about, like, people facilitating meetings who haven't done it before. And she was like, well, the folks in the room who are more experienced, like, actually need to, get, need to be more patient and to, like, actually support mm-hmm. people in learning how to do this because that's you can, of course, train somebody on it. And you should train people on how to do things. And then you actually have to have them in the real situation yeah. and support them through it mm-hmm. as they actually do it. Because that's mm-hmm. how people are going to learn. Yeah. So what's something that for you was something that you were like hesitant to take that step into? Mm-hmm. Well, let, let's do it two ways. What's something that you were hesitant to step into and now feels like an old mood, like something you can do with your eyes closed? Yeah. And what's something that actually your instincts were right on? You're like, I don't think I want to do that. And then you're like, nah, that, that I, should, nah, I don't want to do that. <laughs> yeah. So the thing, uh, writing. Mm. I have not always been a writer. Hmm. Not at all. Not at all. For the longest, I was really, really insecure about my writing. Mm-hmm. And it has taken years of practice. Oh, my gosh. I remember when I wrote an article for the Boston Review. It was like this conversation that Robin D.G. Kelly was leading about. Um, Shout out. Shout out yeah. to the big homie. Yes. <laughs> it was about black study, black struggle or something like that. It was about like black folks in academia. And so I wrote an article because he says that we could be in the university and not of it. And I just <laughs> disagreed because mm. um, they were talking about um, Fred Moten's work around uh, fugitivity. Oh, I know that name. Who, someone yeah. talked about that mm-hmm. up here. I can't yep. remember who it was. But yeah. Talks about fugitivity. And I was like, you know, if you're in the university, you, you are of it and not of it at the same time when you create maroon spaces. I wrote that article, y'all. I gave it to the editors. They marked that joker up. <laughs> <laughs> they marked that joker up so much. And I was just like, ooh, girl. <laughs> yeah. You know, That's and it had been years since I like really wrote something that was more than just like a regular opinion piece. Mm-hmm. And... um 
from there, I'm just like, I had to do a lot more practice and be a lot more rigorous with my writing. Hmm. And so I started working on Unapologetic maybe four years before it was published. Mm. So really starting to get serious and rigorous about my writing helped me with that. So I didn't think I could do it. I was super yeah. insecure about it. What's something that I thought I wanted to do, you said? Or? Was it something that like, you were hesitant to take on? And it or was right. To, and then you were right, like, no, no, that, I don't want to do that again. Ooh, I mean, that's something. It's like how I feel what, about roller coasters. How much tea do I want to spill? Let me think. Um, <laughs> we got paper towels. Yeah, we'll okay. <laughs> we'll clean up. <laughs> uh, I guess I'll say this. It's like, so people ask me to do work and... I think about stuff for a while before I say yes. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's been a couple instances where someone's offered me an opportunity to work on a thing, and then later I find out, girl, that was not for you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there was a fellowship I applied for that I didn't get. I didn't get it, and I'm mm-hmm. very happy that I didn't get it. <laughs> very happy that I didn't get it. Because I got a lot of no's last year. I got a mm-hmm. lot of no's. Because I think some people may think that folks like me get into everything we try for. Right. We get yeses for everything, and I really do not. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I got two no's for big fellowships last year and one yes this year. And all of those things that I'm learning is that of course, like everything is not for me. Yeah. And... I think it's good to like get some reminders that you I'm not going to get everything that I want. Mm-hmm. That's not how life works and mm-hmm. I'm okay with that cuz everything is not for me right. either. And if I'm supposed to be in it, I'll be in it. Um but it, it it has served me well some of the things that I'm like I really thought about uh that I didn't end up doing because mm-hmm. it was not going to be the right move and every I just don't have to be everywhere yeah. and I don't have to do everything. Yeah. That's, that's oh, yeah. dope. What did some of that uh, that process of rigor look like in, oh, in building yeah. your, your writing practice? Mm-hmm. So with the book in particular, I um, wrote most mornings from like 8 to 11 a.m. Mm-hmm. So I would get up in the morning. I would go at the time. I would usually go to Currency Exchange yeah, that Cafe. Was spot. That was my spot. <laughs> that was my spot. I was in there most mornings. The staff there, uh, when it was just regular Currency Exchange Cafe, they were great. Like, they knew what I wanted. What was your order? It was cool. Oh, my gosh. So, I am. I have a, a coffee sitting in front of me right now. <laughs> I'm a creature of habit. Mm. I would usually do one of two things, maybe three if I got real, you know, excited. Uh-huh. So, nobody did an ice, ma- ice honey matcha like the folks at Currency Exchange <laughs> Cafe. It was my favorite thing with almond milk. And um, also, like, a, like, just an iced coffee, yeah. plain. Sometimes, sometimes with caramel, like I like stuff. I don't like super sweet stuff, or like a dirty iced chai, which is like a a chai with the espresso, with espresso right in. in. That'll do it. And yeah. I only need like a little bit, and I'm lit for the rest of the day. I admire your commitment to the iced beverage in winter. You know, in the winter time, <laughs> that, that is a rare strange. breed. And I, I know. <laughs> so writing every morning was a part of that rigor. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a, a coach who I'd been working with, an executive mm-hmm. coach that I'd been working with for BYP 100. And then I contracted to work with her for uh, on a regular basis towards the end of writing the book. We would talk. I would set a, a word count goal. And I wrote the book in um, Scrivener, this uh, mm-hmm. program, Scrivener. And I'll say this week, uh, my goal is to write 3,000 words. So then I break down how many words I need to write a day mm-hmm. um, in order to meet my goal. And then I have my call with my coach, um, per- Patricia. And she's like, so how did you do? So having accountability uh, around it, like real accountability around what I said. And I didn't hit the mark every single week. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I also, lastly, I went to New York for about two months to finish writing the book. 
Hmm. So I left Chicago and went to the the busiest, the other, the busiest city <laughs> in the country. Yeah. They would say, um, "All shade to New Yorkers, <laughs> all shade." From the Bronx. <laughs> the Bronx is having a hell of a year, though. Y'all like y'all are live in the Bronx I right now. A, Yo, you got the rap album. We didn't even. Talk it's a about big that. moment, but here is <laughs> here is my misgiving. And Jesus uh-huh. Romero is about to come back on Showtime, and everyone mm-hmm. AOC, and everyone's mm-hmm. talking about the Bronx. It's lining up with when they're actually getting the gentrification popping. That's like, true. Uh, the that's fact true. that everyone's that's talking true. now it's a destination that's and true. now people uh, now the rents are rising. So true. I was very happy. I needed like It's like what Biggie did to Brooklyn. It's like I just Blame it on Biggie. Where Brooklyn at? Where, where everybody's like Where is this Brooklyn at? I want to go <laughs> there. Go sex, and, yes. sex in the city was like where is Brooklyn? Right, they yeah. never went. They didn't yeah. want to go. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So that that is my that is my misgiving. It's like I I I wanted just me to be talking about the Bronx and like maybe like 10 other people from the Bronx. That's right. And, and so I'm watching that. Like the there's like three neighborhoods in different parts of Let's the world. Getting new names. They're 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 trying it. They love and it's working it. and the rents are the rents are jumping. So my gosh. that's my that's my Bronx melancholy. That's real. Which sounds like the the name of my essays from the 1950s. <laughs> totally do that. <laughs> right. anyway, so an unnecessary setup. Unfortunately, I, well, not actually, fortunately, I have a one on one I have to get to with Asha. Oh, good. So, so she we, just texted me. <laughs> no. Literally, so, so, just texted so, me. So I, I do want to like move towards he, a yeah, rap, yeah move towards a, a, a wrap up question. Okay, which is. And I would actually love to have you on again at some point okay. in the future. Do a little returns part two for sure uh, to get Let's do to it. get deeper into some backstory. Okay, um, but you know we were actually just talking before you got here because we are working to document movement, mm-hmm. and we are in a time where the fervor that you know was at a historic almost peak, mm-hmm. you know, um, has has lulled or descended mm-hmm. naturally. Yeah, um, and so where do you see? the work or the trajectory of how we need to struggle mm-hmm. to be consistent mm-hmm. and continue in this lineage. Very big question, but yeah. like, just, just, but just solve it for yeah, me. Yeah, no, yeah, I'm, 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 I'm getting a little <laughs> emotional right now because uh, just yesterday news broke that our comrades in LA won an eight year campaign to uh, stop the building of a new jail in Los Angeles County mm. and to open a mental health hospital instead. Oh, wow. <laughs> I'm just like, what the That's hell? victory. <laughs> oh, my God. That's victory right there. Victory. <laughs> yeah. Victory. If that's not a win, I don't know what's a win. Huge. Yeah. Huge, huge, huge. And I get the industrialization of, of health care. Mm-hmm. I get that. Mm-hmm. And the there, but... what's possible with a when it's not a jail and the orientation is to, towards mental wellness and mental health. That's just different. And the community is already engaged in it. So let them mess up and the community will hold them accountable like, yeah. and be a part of the process in building this, this new thing. And so I think we're entering the age of actually building alternatives. Mm-hmm. I think that's where we're going mm-hmm. and where we need to go mm-hmm. is that, yes, I actually don't believe in abandoning the electoral process because our people are still in it. Mm-hmm. We're in it. Mm-hmm. The people who are in political power in the in the city, in the state, in this country impact our lives every single day. So that's a part of the work um, that I like. I believe that I have to be engaged in. I actually think we need to be engaged in because that's also where we get practice in figuring out how we want to govern ourselves, mm-hmm. what hmm. policies we believe in, because. When we govern ourselves, policy is the thing that the th- the guidelines for how society operates, right? And it, it it's buried in lots of jargon, legalese, right. and all that stuff. But there will still be policy, right? Like on the other side yeah, right. of the United States government not existing. Hey. You know, like, <laughs> there's gonna be things, and so 
I believe like this <laughs> is gonna a, be things. <laughs> things. There gonna be things that we have to do. They'll like, probably be written down. If, they're gonna be if written down. Right. You know, <laughs> at least podcasts. Exactly. Somewhere we're gonna have to talk about how water provision, healthcare, education, mm-hmm. like safety for folk, all those things, and so. Building those alternatives now and saying this is we recognize that jails are the places that we put people that society feels like they don't want to deal with anymore. And so with that, we're going to build a space, actual like a space for people to be safe, cared for, building those alternatives and putting our energies and um, all of that stuff into building those alternatives. That's. The, the the phase that we're moving into. And it feels like well, there's been a lot of energy of like, we need to build alternatives. Yeah. And now, I feel now, now people are start, at least yeah. models of alternatives. That's right. That's yeah. right. I feel like, and of course, people have been doing it for a while. And I think they have a lot more folks who are like ready to throw down hmm. and really figure it out. So you call yourself a prison abolitionist. Let's like actually put like rubber on the road let's and build. be like, let's build that shit. Let's yeah. Build. What does it actually look like in real time? Yeah, maybe you use your gardening skills. We build some cabinets. We, Boom. You know, some of that. Yeah, exactly. I, I'll MC. <laughs> I mean, somebody's gonna have to keep the people going. It'll work sound. It'll be perfect. You know. All right. Uh, <laughs> thank you so much for taking this time to be be with us. One word. Check out how, how's everybody feeling. Energized. Hungry mm-hmm. and wonderful. That's two words. <laughs> Building, which is not a word of feeling, but, <laughs> but there would be a, there would have been a sentence that would have got me to. That's right. To that's right. <laughs> is there any place you want people to find you? Yeah. Any, oh yeah, you word. Know? Check me out um, on Instagram, Charlene Carruthers. My Facebook page is Charlene A Carruthers. Website CharleneCarruthers.com. Twitter Charlene C A C. Get a book. Go buy the oh, book. Oh yeah, I wrote a book, Unapologetic: <laughs> A Black Queer and Feminist Mandate for Radical Movements. Y'all can get it anywhere. Oh, and it's uh, gonna be out in paperback in September. Oh, beautiful. Shout out to the paperback. Back. Shout out to you for coming through. <laughs> Thank you. So and we'll be back next week with another person reshaping the culture of our city for the more equitable and creative. Much love to the people. Peace. Yeah. Thanks, y'all. This episode of Ergo is brought to you by Cards Against Humanity. They asked us not to read an ad, so we didn't. <laughs>